Good morning. When we uh, come to church each week, I'm sitting there during worship as you quite often know I'll bring up certain things out of a worship song. What I'm asking the Lord to do even in worship is to speak something into my heart. It's not for me just to sing. You wouldn't like my voice anyway. But it's, I want to set my heart right before the Lord. I want to hear something from the Lord. And my prayer is that when we all come to this place, it's to do that. Lord, I want to hear from you. And that happens even in worship. That God could speak something into your heart. And one of the lyrics or a couple of the lyrics that just spoken to me this morning is there's so many reasons to love you and I would think that if all of us were just to start writing down the reasons that we love him the things that he has done for you the things that he has done for me and the other part of that lyric I'm overwhelmed by all you are And are you overwhelmed? And have you been recently overwhelmed by the things of God in your life? Is it a distant thing? When you think about the last time I was overwhelmed by being in the presence of the Lord. And may the Lord work in our hearts this morning as we open up the word of God. That he'll speak something into our heart. We've been, all of us, most of us have been through Easter season probably many times. We've heard the story. But may this be a different Easter this season leading up to next Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I titled this morning's message our king from a colt to a cross. I changed that halfway through my study. But today's Palm Sunday. It's also known as Passion Sunday to some. And you see, Palm Sunday is the beginning of what is called the Passion Week. And even the uh, Latin word, paseo, it, it means, for the word passion, it means to suffer. And we know that this whole week for our Lord was a week of suffering. As a matter of fact, in the old King James in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, this is how it reads. To whom also Jesus showed himself alive after his passion, after his suffering. In the New King James, which is what I'm reading from, it says it this way. He also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. After his suffering. Jesus would 
come into this world to suffer, to die. But he was going to raise again from the third day. That's our hope. That's our joy. That's our confidence that we have in the Lord. Because he rose, we also will be raised from the dead. Those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We read in Luke's gospel in chapter 24, starting in verse 40 or in verse 46, excuse me, that Jesus said to his disciples, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead the third day. It was the message that he told his disciples to go out with. It was necessary that Christ would suffer. And it was necessary that he would raise from the dead the third day. In the book of Acts, also in chapter 1, verse 4, we read this after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the disciples, that they were assembled together with Jesus. And Jesus commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. That's what they knew. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That would happen ten days later. As they were told to go into Jerusalem and to wait until they be endued with power. The promise of the Holy Spirit that was going to come upon the church. He goes on to say, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This is even after the resurrection. They were still anticipating this kingdom on earth. This time that God was going to establish his kingdom, their Messiah had come. Are you going to establish your kingdom now? Is this the time that these Roman oppressors are going to be put aside and you're going to establish your kingdom? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And now when he had spoken these things, we're told that while the disciples watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Wow. Can you imagine that day? The disciples just seeing him ascend from this earth into heaven. 
where he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into this world on a mission. It was a predetermined mission. It was already worked out in heaven before he would arrive. He would come with a mission and he knew what he was going to accomplish when he arrived. Paul told Timothy in his letter in 1 Timothy 1.15, he told Timothy what his mission was. He says to Timothy, Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I'd like to ask you all a question. How many of you are a sinner this morning? I don't I see a few hands not raised. If you don't think you're a sinner, please come up and see me afterwards. Okay? But let me ask you another way. How many of you are a saved sinner? All right. Praise the Lord. I'm looking for that hand that's not raised. A saved sinner. Somebody that has been saved from their sin. It was Christ's mission. It's why he came. To save us from our sin. Amen? Amen. I would say that it's mission accomplished. He did it. There's more to be saved. But I see a room of people here that have been saved from their sin by Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But when I consider this season, this time that we're in as a church, this celebration time. To me, it's a lot about timing of things. You see, the timing of Jesus' birth was perfect timing. His ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all of these events were precise. They were predetermined. Even before the creation of the heavens and the earth, the Godhead in heaven, the council, in it, they had all of this plan worked out. This mission was already worked out. And not only was it worked out, but it was worked out in precise detail. It was worked out in perfect timing. The hour of Jesus' birth and death and burial, resurrection and ascension, and even his second coming worked out. And when I started considering just looking at these things again, I thought, what an amazing God we serve. Amazing. Amen? Man, I mean, we couldn't do it. He had it all worked out before time began. For Jesus, 
The time had now come to leave that upper region of Galilee and begin the last leg of his ministry. Three and a half years of ministry here on earth. Jesus would leave that northern area of Galilee and he would make his descent towards Jerusalem because he knew that the time had come. He would make this 85-mile trek with his disciples. It's that last leg of ministry that possibly lasted maybe about two months, where Jesus had his face set toward the cross. Nothing was going to detour him from that. His face was set towards the cross. He knew that the cross was coming. And can you imagine still having a couple of months of ministry of healing people and touching people and, and doing all these miracles during this time prior to the cross? I'd be so distracted if I knew that I had the cross ahead of me. And here he is for that whole time coming down to Jerusalem, still ministering day by day, still teaching his disciples. Jesus would continue to teach, to heal, and perform until he came to that place where he would raise Lazarus from the dead. In John's gospel, it's the seventh miracle that he records. Jesus did many other signs and wonders and miracles, John recorded seven. The last was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. You see, our Christian faith, church, our Christian faith, it stands or falls on the question of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Jesus had to raise from the dead, and he did, and we rejoice in that. We read that when they had come to the city of Bethany, Jesus and his disciples it was just a small village, just two miles east of Jerusalem. And they came to the house of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. We read that when they came to the, the city of Bethany, this village there, according to John's gospel, he was going to perform this last miracle before the cross. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Perfect timing. The perfect miracle for what was about to happen in Jesus Christ. We read in John chapter 11, verse 39. After Lazarus had been dead for four days. Think of that. What happens to a body in four days? 
of being dead. We're told that Jesus was standing outside the tomb. And he spoke with this loud voice. And we're told he spoke it with a loud voice so that everyone standing by could hear him. And this is what he said. He says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who was dead, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there's a stench. For he's been dead four days. And there would be. And Jesus said this to her. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? You see, Jesus is still saying that today. That if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of trust in him and his words. So then they took away the stone, we're told, from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this. Why? That they may believe that you sent me. And now when he had said these things, Jesus cried with a loud voice again, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. You see, sin has a grasp on all of us. It had a grasp on you before you knew Christ. You were bound to your sin. You couldn't help but do anything but sin. Death is coming for every soul that's been birthed into this world. And it holds mankind in its grasp. The grave holding him bound. And Jesus says, set him free. Set him free. Have you been set free? Do you have the confidence in your heart that you have been set free? It's the most important question we could ever ask. I've been set free by Jesus Christ. But you see, the importance of the timing of this miracle, I believe, is important. It was going to prove to his disciples, it was going to even prove to the whole world that Jesus has the power over death. He has power over the grave. And that's what it's all about, church. If there is no resurrection, as 
Pastor Kyle prayed, we're the most miserable people. Let's throw the towel in. There's no reason to go on. But there is a resurrection. There will be a resurrection of our bodies. We're told on that day, when that miracle was performed, that many people within Bethany, that small village, they believed and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. I think I would. If I saw him call a man that was dead for four days out of the tomb, what a miracle. But we also read in that same chapter that after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we read in 1153 that from that day on, speaking of the religious leaders, they plotted to put Jesus to death. This was a miracle that threatened them. This was people that did not believe. They wanted to attribute everything and anything to the work of Satan because it infringed upon them and their power and who they were. And they would not believe. They plotted to put Jesus to death. For a miracle like that, raising someone from the dead, it tipped them over the edge. It was also after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, we're told in verse 54, therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from Bethany into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. He kind of went into seclusion after that for a bit of time. In verse 55, we're told that the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And this was all preparation for this uh, Passover feast. They would go for this purification period. And then they sought Jesus and they spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. And not in this temple proper, but up on the temple mount. And they were having this discussion saying, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast? And now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where Jesus was, he should report it that they might seize him. They were out to get him. Looking ahead to John chapter 12, verse 1, we read, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus and his disciples, they came back to this village of Bethany where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. It's now Friday, Saturday to the Jew. It's the start of the Sabbath, we might say. It's probably happening on a Friday, Friday evening. 
And Jesus and his disciples are in Bethany that evening, sitting down for supper with friends. I want you to get this picture. Martha is serving. Lazarus is alive from the dead, sitting there at the table with Jesus. And there were others that were there with the disciples. Mary is there and she's overwhelmed. It's like that song this morning. She's overwhelmed in the moment with her love for Jesus. How would you like to have been sitting at that table? Here's a man that had been dead for four days, sitting there at a meal. been incredible and Mary that night we're told that she takes this costly perfume oil that was worth about one year's wages she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus with it she begins to wipe it with her hair and we're told that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And then we read on. In chapter 12 verse 4. But one of Jesus disciples. His name is Judas Iscariot. Simon's son who would betray Jesus. He said. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii. And given to the poor. And this he said, we're told, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Everything was within perfect timing. Here's even Mary holding back this oil. This would have been something of great value to the family, to her. Yet she was willing to pour it out, give it all out, pour it on the feet of Jesus in the moment, preparing him for what was coming. Jesus knew that the next day, that Sunday would be the start of the Passion Week. In John's Gospel, this starts in chapter 12. With Jesus riding in Jerusalem on the back of a a donkey's colt as king. And then it finishes in chapter 19. With Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, and Nicodemus placing Jesus' body into the tomb. Chronologically, chapter 12 is the start of the Passion Week. It's now Sunday, the first day of the week. It would be on this day that Jesus would present himself to the nation of Israel as their Messiah, as their King, 
and even as a prophet on that day. We read on in chapter 12, verse 12, the next day, speaking of Sunday, the first day of the week, a great multitude, and this great multitude of people, these are that we might call the Jesus followers. They had come to the Passover feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they took branches of palm trees. They cut them down and they went out to meet Jesus. And they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The King of Israel was their shout. For them, this was the day that they were waiting for. This was the time of the promised Messiah and King. This is everything that they knew that the prophets foretold. That their king would come. He would establish his kingdom here on earth. And they were singing and they were rejoicing. They were singing one of the Hallel Psalms. Which Hallel just means praise. One of the praise Psalms from Psalm 118 verse 25 and 26. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, we're told that he sat on it as it is written. And this is important because here John throws the quote in from Zechariah 9.9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This act. Of Jesus sitting on that colt and riding down into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives was going to be a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. Over 500 years prior, he had given this prophecy. Prophecy is important in Scripture. It tells us something about the God we serve, doesn't it? That Jesus here on this particular time, a precise time, was fulfilling that prophecy of Zechariah. His disciples were told in verse 16, they didn't understand these things at first, and quite often they didn't. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. It wasn't going to be till later on that they would even begin to get it. And therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and he raised him from the dead, were told that they bore witness. And for this reason, the people, and I'll call these people the curiosity seekers, they also met him. Because they heard that he had done this sign. You see, there's a lot of curiosity seekers in the world. They're looking. They're listening. It sounds intriguing. Yet they haven't stepped over and made that decision to believe. To put their faith and trust in Jesus. Many of them will always remain just curiosity seekers. 
They might even be ones that come to church. They come to observe. Yet they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They also came out to meet him because they heard what had been done and the sign. They were curious. But then we also have the Pharisees. It says the Pharisees therefore said among themselves. Just talking to themselves. You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Isn't that incredible? This was just the beginning of that Passion Week. On Monday, Jesus would return to Jerusalem. He would go back on Sunday, on that Passion Sunday. He would go back to Bethany with his disciples. They got up early on Monday morning. They headed back to Jerusalem. And on the way, Jesus would curse the fig tree as he was making his way to the Temple Mount. And we would see, and Jesus would see when he entered the temple that day, he would see all these people with tables set up, selling their wares, selling these things, and making the house of God into a den of thieves. Jesus, in his righteous anger, began to overturn these money changers tables and flip over and let the animals out and he chased them out of the temple mount that was on monday on tuesday they would again go back to bethany come back to jerusalem back to the temple mount and it would be a full day on the temple mount Jesus would be teaching. He would have the chief priests that would question him. He would have the Sadducees and the Pharisees, those two main sects of Judaism that would try to trick him with questions about the law. Jesus would see and comment on the widow that was there on the mount that day that was putting that widow's mite into the box and she was giving all that she had. Jesus would leave the temple mount that day with his disciples and he would tell them that the temple that you see here and the walls of the city that you see here they're going to be destroyed they're going to be taken down stone by stone this alarmed the disciples Jesus was giving them heads up of something that would happen in 70 AD and it did he would also give them the signs of his second coming in Matthew chapter 24. He would give them the parables and the judgments to come in Matthew chapter 25, teaching his disciples on that day, giving them heads up to the things to come. On Wednesday, it's referred to as the silent day in Scripture. Nothing is recorded in all four Gospels. It's maybe a day that Jesus and his disciples just were resting back in Bethany. Or maybe they were making some preparations for the coming Passover. On Thursday, on this day, the disciples would be making preparation for the Passover. Jesus would tell them 
to make preparations for the Passover feast. And at sunset on that Thursday, Jesus would begin to eat the Passover meal with his disciples. He would take on himself in that moment the role of a servant. He would uh, gird his waist with a cloth and begin to wash the disciples' feet. Each one, you know the story. It was during this time that the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders had assembled themselves in the palace of the high priest Caiaphas, and they were plotting that night. As this Passover meal was going, they were plotting how they would take Jesus by trickery to kill him. This last supper was followed by an upper room discourse from chapter 13 to chapter 17 of John's gospel. We have this upper room, it's called the upper room discourse. In chapter 13, it records that Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he would be departing from this world to his father. He knew that his hour had come. He knew that the time had come, the precise time, the necessary time, that it had come for him to depart. In chapter 14, Jesus gives the disciples his last discourse that he gave to them. He speaks to them about his departure and about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, that he would be sending after his departure. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells the disciples that he is the vine, and you are the branches, he says to them. He tells them to abide in his love. As he says to all of us even today. In John chapter 16, Jesus warns them of the suffering that will come upon them. He warns them that as they go out, they're going to suffer for him. But he's going to send them a helper. He's going to send them this helper and the spirit of truth. And he tells them that the sorrow that they have and the sorrow that will come is going to be turned into joy. They didn't even realize that the cross was ahead. The sorrow that would come into their hearts from that. But it was going to turn to joy. In John 17, we read that Jesus says, Father, this is his prayer, the hour has come. Jesus praying to his father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. And that same evening, before Jesus leaves to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he lifts up one of the longest recorded prayers in the Bible. He prays first for himself. 
And then he prays for his disciples that were there in the room. And then he prays for all who would come to believe through their witness. And you're even a fruit of that. He's prayed for us. For the church today. For you as a believer. Jesus prayed for you. That night. In John 18. Jesus and his disciples would leave the upper room. They would exit the Temple Mount and they would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, a place that was near the foot of the Mount of Olives where Jesus would often go to pray. It was a place of prayer for him. It was going to be his final place and time of prayer before the cross. As Jesus went into that garden that evening, he knelt down. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus completely subjected himself to the will of the Father. Not my will, but your will. And all the while, as Jesus was there praying, his disciples were sleeping. And then while in the garden that night, as they were forming a mob to come and arrest Jesus, we read in chapter 18, verse 3, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, they need a whole detachment of troops to go after him, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they came with lanterns, they came with torches and weapons, we're told, to arrest one man. In John 18, 12, after they had come to the garden and Judas had given him that kiss to identify him, they bound Jesus, we're told, and they led him away. They took him to Annas. They, they had him stand before Annas, who was the former high priest in the day. And he had his time before him, and then he was led off to his father-in-law, Caiaphas, where he began asking Jesus more questions about his disciples and his doctrine. In John 18, 24, it says, Then Annas sent Jesus bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. In verse 28, we read that Caiaphas would then have Jesus taken to the Praetorium. The Praetorium was the, the place up on the Temple Mount where the Roman garrison was housed in that. And it overlooked the Temple Mount where they could keep peace. Upon that temple mount, Caiaphas would have Jesus taken to the praetorium where he would stand before Pilate and be questioned. According to Luke's gospel in chapter 23, it says that when Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee, he tried to pass the buck and he, he said to, to Jesus, to, he says, send Jesus to Herod. 
Because Herod was the one that oversaw the region of Galilee. Send him to Herod. He wanted to pass the buck over to him to see what Herod might do with him. But coming to Herod, Herod couldn't find anything wrong with him either. He just simply mocked Jesus. He put this gorgeous robe upon him and he sent him back to Pilate. And then in John 18, 39, we read that Pilate was then pressured. He was pressured to release either Barabbas, who was a robber, or Jesus, the king of the Jews. And the people cried out again, saying, not this man. The people cried out, not this man, but Barabbas is who they wanted. From a cult to the cross. Our King, Jesus Christ, who came into Jerusalem on that day as King, was now going to go to the cross. Something that he had his face set towards. Something that he knew must happen. That our sins could be forgiven. That we could have victory over the grave. And I want to just finish, and we're going to have communion uh, together this morning, but I want to finish by reading to you uh, John chapter 19. If you're not there, turn to chapter 19. I want to read to you this very important chapter because I believe it sets the stage for this Passion Week. This is what I would encourage you to do as a, as, as a Christian, just anticipating next Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday. Spend time this week. We have some devotionals that are just geared towards this Passion Week. Spend time preparing your heart for Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday. Let's read in our Bibles chapter 19 of John. It says... So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they put it on him and they put on him a purple robe. One of royalty mocking him. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him. With their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I have found no fault in him. Pilate couldn't find any, done anything wrong. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe that was upon him. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I I find no fault in him. You do it, in other words. And the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die. 
because he made himself the son of God. And therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and he said this to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus but the, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and he sat in, down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew it's Gabbatha. And now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered him to be to them to be crucified so they took Jesus and they led him away verse 17 and he bearing his cross he went out to the place called the place of the skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified Jesus and two others with him one on either side and Jesus in the center and now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then many of the Jews, when they saw that sign, were told they read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. I love that. Because it was true. What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they made four parts. To each soldier received a part. And also the tunic. And now the tunic was without seam. Woven from top in one piece. And they said therefore among themselves. Let us not tear it. But cast lots for it. Who it shall be that the scripture. Listen to this. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things prophesied foretold that this would happen the casting of the lot for his garments precise timing 
God had it all planned out. Now there stood by the cross, verse 25, Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop and they put it up to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said these words, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Wow. For us, he did it for you. For those of you that raised your hand that I'm just a, a sinner, a saved sinner. He did it for you. He did it for me. Therefore, verse 31, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken to hasten his death, the death, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who was seen, has seen, has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture, and here it is again, might be fulfilled. No one, not one of his bones, excuse me, shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Fulfillment of prophecy there on the cross. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus at night, remember back in John 3, when Jesus talked to him about being born again, he got saved. He was born again. He came also bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in, in strips of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb 
was nearby. You had the whole Passion Week given to you this morning. We have a whole week ahead of us to consider, to think on, to rejoice in the things that were accomplished at the cross. Next Sunday, it's going to be John chapter 20, the empty tomb. It's going to be what we're going to celebrate as a church and rejoice in, the empty tomb that Jesus came out of. Praise the Lord. Our God is an awesome God. Amen? Amen.